0: As we transition to listening to God by opening His Word and opening ourselves to the Holy Spirit, uh, I want to remind you, um, family, and if you're new, there's one thing that you need to know about. Um, TCLA, the Commons LA, we're very chill about a lot of things, but one thing we're very serious about is following Jesus. We don't show up on Sundays to check off some religious box We believe that Jesus is real and present among us and that following him with trust and faithfulness leads to uh, lives of flourishing. So, I want to invite you to that. To hear with faith, with the intent to obey. As we open the scriptures, we hear the good news over us and uh, we get to follow in his footsteps. Amen? All right, would you stand with me as we read scripture? All right, starting and reading each of these passages in order, and then I will pray. First, we have 2 Peter 3.18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. John 4.13-14. and 14. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18 So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And Delia's verse, Psalm 1611, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Romans 12:4 through 8. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we though many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith, if service, in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. First Corinthians 12:4 through7. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And lastly, John seven thirty-seven through thirty-nine. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, "If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink." Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not glorified. Not yet glorified. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, would you please help us to see the grace of, of your presence that is with us, that is accessible to us, that we may live out the life of heaven on earth with you as we await this advent for your second coming. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can take your seats. We've been in a teaching series called Bad Theology. And it's called bad theology because much of the problem in the church in the West that has undermined discipleship and that has made the church to look like um, a hollow shell of what Jesus intended is because we've been captured by overly simplistic theology that might take one verse of scripture and make it into the whole of the principle Instead of bringing together the tensions that Scripture presents to us. Just as the Gospel itself presents tension to us. I mean, Advent is all about tension, right? God becoming human and dwelling with us face to face. And so for the first four weeks we talked about the Gospel and a variety of tensions in the Gospel. What is the Gospel? What's the point of the Gospel? How do we live out the Gospel? You can go back and you can listen to those on our website. I'd encourage that because this is a really important series for us so that we can all have the same frame of reference when we think about God, the gospel, and living together as a family following Jesus. Over the last couple of weeks, we've transitioned from that word gospel that can be so confusing and amorphous to another word that can be equally confusing and amorphous, the word grace. The word grace. We defined it and unpacked it a couple of weeks ago, but really simply, the Greek word used for grace in Scripture is the word for gift. Gift. It's a very simple word in their time. Just like it's a simple word in our time. Simply put, grace is the gift of God himself. Grace is God's giving of himself to us. If we were to expand it a little bit more... Grace is the powerful presence of God among us, doing in and through us what we can't do on our own. It's what happens when an image bearer of God gets into the presence and and learns to walk with God who is their life and power. The gospel is the good news that God is here among us, and through Jesus, anyone can get in on it. Why does it matter? Why are we spending three weeks on grace? Well, the first verse that we read, 2 Peter 3.18, commands Jesus' followers to grow in it. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I think when we think or have assumptions about that word, many of us think that a gift is antithetical to growing in the gift let alone the notions of grace and the free giving that God gives, and we want to uphold his generosity. And so for him to command something to us about taking and using the gift he gives feels contradictory. But that's where theology that's healthy is able to hold multiple things together to say, we did nothing to earn or merit God's presence and accessibility to us. But we do have great responsibility now that we have it. You see the tension. That's what grace invites us into. And discipleship is fundamentally learning the life of grace. It's learning to live by what we can't see, but that we are assured is real, and in fact more real than what we can see. So. I want you to imagine a house with me. We've been running with this metaphor and I've heard from multiple people that it's very helpful because the New Testament uses this word grace in a lot of different applications. So if we try and take any one, we'll end up cutting out a lot of the robust gift that we have in God with us. So imagine a house, All right, Imagine a house. That house is representative of life with God the with God life that we're swept into through the Gospel. The doorway is justifying grace. It's Jesus, the only way that anyone can get into life with God. Jesus Himself said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But if anyone looks to Jesus with the eyes of faith, they get entrance into the home, into the life of God. And we're assured because of Jesus that we have sure and steadfast belonging with God. He will never reject us if we've gone through Christ. So justifying grace is the doorway. Transforming grace is like the laundry room. It's where we, w- we walk in from the outside, we take off the dirty mangled clothing that the world gives us, has put upon us, and we take up the beauty Of Jesus and the life of holiness with Him. The purity of His sanctifying presence. And we're changed. Reconciling grace as we move through the house is the living room. Where we grow deeper in our relationship. Through the process of confession and forgiveness. That produces a kind of peace and joy in the presence of God. Just because we've come to Jesus by faith doesn't mean we have the full depth and riches of communion with Him. Reconciling grace is that process of growing more deeply into shared life with God. This week, we enter a couple more rooms satisfying grace and the gifts of grace. Those are the, the topics of grace that we're unpacking. First, satisfying grace we finally enter the dining room. Life with God is an unending feast. God doesn't sit us down and hand us jack-in-the-box to satisfy our cravings for carbs, fats, and sugar, those things that are Uh, Satisfying to kind of the compulsiveness, I have a Jack in the Box two two blocks from where I live, just like the last place I lived up in Seattle, had a Jack in the Box two blocks away from where I live. I drive by there, I walk by there, and there's a part of me that's like, oh, I could use some of those curly fries right now. (laughs) Jack in the Box curly fries, so good. But I've come to know, if I eat a Jack in the Box, it's not gonna go well for me. Sometimes, what we actually need is to learn what will satisfy the deeper desires that we have rather than the surfacey compulsions that might capture us in a moment. You You are familiar with this process, right? Coming to know Jesus and learning to live life with God is satisfying. Any longing that you have is put there by your Creator to be ravenously unsatisfied until it finds its deepest taproot in Jesus Christ. Every craving that we feel enslaved by, every compulsion that grips us in moments and undoes us on the other end, Is like a carnival mirror of the longing that we were made by God with, that we would feel our way towards him. Mid-20th century Scottish fiction writer Bruce Marshall wrote in his 1945 novel, The World, the Flesh and Father Smith, a dialogue between two very interesting characters. One is Miss Agdala who represents the common modernist perspective and the second is Father Smith representing the, the Christian perspective. And Miss Agdala says that she had always maintained about Christians that religion is only a substitute for sex. That, that really religion's just a cover-up, it's a mask, it's a pseudo thing to fulfill this other deeper desire. Father Smith counters, I still prefer to believe that sex. Is a substitute for religion, and that the young man who rings the bell at the brothel is unconsciously looking for God. He's right. We're hardwired with longings that are impossible to quiet and appease because we were not created to be satisfied by creation, but only in the presence of God. Karl Rahner or Rayner. Forgive me if you are friends with Carl and I mispronounced his name. Wrote, in the torment of the insufficiency of everything attainable. Let me read that again. In the torment of the insufficiency of everything attainable, we come to understand that here in this life, all symphonies remain unfinished. Carl is saying the inverse of what Jesus tells the Samaritan woman in John 4. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks this water, the water that she was drawing out of a well in a village in Samaria, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is saying, even though the water you draw makes you thirsty again, I have something that can satisfy you. We cannot, we cannot find lasting fulfillment in created things because those longings are eternal things. It's as though We sit down to eat day by day and we breathe instead. The pang of hunger in our guts, in our bellies, will never be satisfied by breathing harder. But there's a whole world in our capitalistic, consumeristic thing that we call America that says, breathe this air in and the, the hunger will go away. As silly as it is, it's real. We, we're told that these things will somehow put at peace, will quiet down, will satiate our longings. Worldly stuff: money, sex, power, achievement, accolade, higher GPA, better job, more money, more security, better suitor—all the stairway that is before us is just a treadmill. It will never stop. And what we're swept up into in Jesus is a dining room, a feast that can actually bring meaningful peace and satisfaction. Otherwise, Jesus is just lying. So, if you're here and you're, you're exploring Jesus, you're not a Christian, you certain, certainly wouldn't take his, his invitation seriously. You need to know that this is what he invites you to. Is to stop running the rat race. Is to get off the treadmill or the hamster wheel that will never get you where you really want to go. And in the quiet stillness, experience what was always available to you in him. (coughs) Satisfying grace, what we're calling this dining room. Is what you are experiencing, Christian, when you find Jesus more satisfying than sex, or money, or power, or beauty? It's the epiphany that what you were searching for in the aimless, endless hurry of being busy has been accessible to you in the dining room of God's house all along. It's the experience of Jesus being more real than the tastes of food, or the coolness of water on a hot day. That's why we're constantly asking one another here at the Commons LA, has Jesus been real to you this week? So where that question comes from is saying, how's your feasting? Now it's grace, so it's not all in our power. Many of us are aching, longing, hungering, and saying, God, where are you if this is true? And I don't pretend to have answers to know the mind of God in that. But we do have these promises that are held out to us. And having been uh, in our context for 10 years and seen all the changes that have come about and getting to know many of you, there are substitutes that we settle for instead of the feast that's offered to us. And if I can, there, I think there are some layers here so that you can start to imagine, okay, where am I stuck? And hopefully it's helpful. On the most surface level, there are compulsions. There are those behaviors that we just cannot help but do. There are these habits that we constantly are driven about by as though we have a hook in our mouth. So it's addiction. It's food. It's lust. It's buying stuff. I grew up, and the way that in my household sometimes we would would make ourselves happy is by going to the mall and I get a toy, and you wanna know what that did? It communicated something to my innermost part that said, get something new, and that little rush of dopamine is satisfaction. It'll make the sad go away. We all have stuff like that, based on our stories, based on our dreams, whatever it might be, but if we don't see that Those are like sugar when we need sustenance. We will never even get to the dining table with Jesus with our deep hunger he wants to satisfy. Beneath compulsions are cravings. They're those things that we, we feel and we do battle with and we're like, not now, it's not time. It's like every time I'm done with, with dinner, I'm like, dessert? Obviously, need sugar now. And then I'm like, nah, it's not, it's not going to go well for me. I have my body literally, I have a story with food allergies and all that stuff in me, and God miraculously healed them through prayer. I'll share a little bit about that later. But I'm still pretty sensitive to sugar. I feel my joints swell up. And so I have this craving for sugar, but I actually am aware I can't do that unless I want to wake up with really stiff, achy joints in the morning. So we're not quite controlled by our cravings, but they're very strong. Beneath our cravings, there are desires. These are kind of the raw needs that we have put there by God outside of ourselves. So things like connection, intimacy, being seen by someone and admired by them. Approval, affection. When we misplace those, we start to think that buying something or watching pornography will satisfy them. They hit that surface, but then they hollow us out underneath and we're worse off than we were before and we wonder what happened. Beneath desires are longings. This is where we get down into the base of how God made us. It's actually a gift to have longing. Because longing leads you like a compass if we are aware and blessed by the Spirit to actually Get to God's presence because there is where we feel satisfaction in our longings, and oftentimes our sources of greatest pain are where we experience the most profound, satisfying grace. So, if you, if your parents growing up, you might be able to say that it is as best they could with what they had. Um, but you have a lot of of ache there, some of you have discovered the glory of God identifying himself as Father. And the pain that you grew up with actually becomes that longing. It reveals that longing that gets you into the presence of God to feast at his table. And where you ache, he says, here I am. What satisfying grace does is it meets us in our present hunger, but it does something really crazy. It makes us hungrier. It satisfies us and expands us. So, when Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, but our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. He's saying just that that as life sort of feels like it's falling apart in particular ways when you rush into the presence of God and say i don't know what is happening i don't know where you are your promises do not seem like they're coming through for me and you open up in that space of either hurt anger, frustration, whatever it might be that starts to open up those deeper wells of your personhood, what you encounter is a kind of inner renewing in God's presence, hearing His Spirit, soaking in Scripture that renews you internally even while life or your very body is falling apart. This is real. This is not pretend or good thoughts This is what God does. This is who he is. Now, it's tricky talking about God fulfilling our desires in a world where we're addicted to satisfying desires. We're in a world where every desire has five companies vying to get you to satisfy your desire there by giving them some money. What I don't want to do is just say, come to Jesus and you'll be everything that you ever thought you wanted will be satisfied. That's not true. Some things he leaves in the mystery of his purpose. But his promises are also true, that he will bring you along and bring renewal into you, even while life is painfully difficult. That's what the ancient Israelites knew when uh, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Notice that it's not saying, believe in Jesus and you'll be really satisfied. It's saying, get into his presence and you'll be satisfied. There's a way to be a human with God in the picture, with you in reality. And sadly, much of our bad theology has told us believe in God so that you go to heaven when you die and then live on your own terms here and now. You will never be satisfied with that. That might actually be the most unsatisfying way to live here and now. One foot in heaven, one foot on earth, not actually the real heaven that that we're promised here and now, but just banking on the heaven when you die. We need conviction a conviction, when I mean, say conviction, I just mean a belief that we won't waver on. That we say, no matter what my life tells me, I will believe this because God says it. It's true. It's in Scripture. A testimony of saints follows confirming it. Here's the conviction. Jesus will satisfy you. God put that ever-expanding dynamic within you. Be encouraged if your hunger for God is growing. It's oftentimes a sign of the work of God in you. Here's a way that we can live that out. The peculiar way we feast on God oftentimes is through self-denial. One of the reasons we have no comprehension or urgency around something like fasting is because we don't actually know how the spiritual reality of life with God works. Jesus assumed that his followers would fast because as we cultivate longing, well, let me say it this way, as we deny our cravings and compulsions and even desires, what bubbles up to the surface are longings that God wants to meet. So this Tuesday, we have our first Tuesday fast, where we fast through breakfast, through lunch, and then we break fast at dinner. We do that during the week with our missional communities. If you're not in a missional community, it would be a great week to join in on one because we actually have a meal every other week when we gather and we break fast there, but we spend the day in communication with each other, praying, asking God to meet us. And I think this is a great thing for us to fast with regard to. Normally there's a purpose or an intent. God, would you help us to see where we're just... our, our Our longings are looked for in the world rather than entrusted to you help us to even see that so if this is something for you that you want to grow in with us all together I would encourage you fast I know that for some of you it's not physically possible I would encourage you have a doctor tell you that instead of just say like oh yeah there's no way I could do that let me just fast from social media. That's not fasting, that's, that's what's the word? Abstaining. Abstaining. Fasting is a spiritual discipline that throughout church history has been about food, okay? So, in the dining room we feast with God. But we don't feast there for ourselves as the end-all be-all. You see, satisfying grace draws us more deeply into Jesus so that we would be whole enough internally with Him to pour ourselves out in service for others. The gifts of grace are like the backyard of the house. Lots of stuff happens in the backyard. Backyards are where we learn to tend gardens that produce flowers of beauty, savory herbs and spices, where tiny mustard seeds grow up into huge plants that provide shade for rest, where sport and exercise take place to better harness the capabilities of our bodies. There's a shed in God's backyard where artistry and woodworking and writing and other skills are used to create for the sake of others. God is the kind of person who is only satisfied to give himself to his creation and for his people so that they would continue the free generosity of love that passes his love on to others. i gonna say that again. God's the kind of person that wants to pass his love to you so that it would go through you to others. That's just what he's like. And when we start to store it up for ourselves, we're like the Israelites with manna in the wilderness. We try and stockpile. Anybody remember what happened to the manna when they did that? It rotted! It It rots! Grace has to flow in order for it not to go stale. That's why Scripture, especially in the New Testament talks about God's work not only to us in Jesus, but through us in Jesus. And so it uses the same word grace for gifts that we use for other people. It's his powerful presence in us, working through us, for the sake of other people. And can I just say, in our context, there are lots of natural gifts. A lot of you are here. You were recruited here. You applied to get in here because of your natural giftings. We got to own that. But woe to us if we think those are for us. And I think when we imagine our calendar, our budget, our future, with us at the center. It's revealing of how much we've actually been inoculated by this self-centered culture. Puts all the burden of meaning on you. Puts all the burden of achievement on you. Upholds efficiency as the greatest metric of how you're doing in life. That's not from God. And there's a reason we're anxious and depressed and hurried all the time. It breaks apart our interconnectedness. It breaks apart our wholeness and fractures us to live like that. You want to know what will help make you whole? Learning to give yourself away in love to other people. And I say learning because you have to learn it. It's painful. It feels like it's completely opposed to what you want to do on the inside. Sometimes you're like miserable afterwards. You're like, that wasn't worth it. And the Spirit taps you on the shoulder and says, I'm here with you. Keep going. So we have a collection of verses uh, that speak of the gifts of grace. And I'm not going to read through them all, but I want to call your attention to a couple of dynamics here. In Romans 12, the list of gifts are primarily acts of service. In 1 Corinthians 12, the gifts are primarily on the the unseen side, communicating God's presence to us with miraculous supernatural gifts. And we believe that both of those are essential and integral to our life as a church community. But they're not for us. One author said, self-surrender is at the very heart of God and is at the very heart of all his attitudes and actions. When he asks us to surrender ourselves, he is asking us to fulfill the deepest thing in himself and the deepest thing in us. So you see that satisfying grace and the gifts of grace go hand in hand. They work back on one another in reciprocity. You're satisfied and made whole internally so that you can give yourself away and in the giving of yourself away you find greater joy in that and you're broadened and expanded and satisfied. That's the vision of heaven on earth. Self-giving love. Inaugurated by Jesus. Laying his life down for us. Pointing the way for us. Giving himself to total poverty so that we would see riches in him. And discipleship is urgent because it, this thing is, this concept is so foreign to us. And so I want to invite you to resolve to this conviction. You are a steward of your gifts and not an owner. In the dining room, we learned Jesus is satisfying. In the backyard of play and learning and growing in grace, we learn our gifts are we are not owners of our gifts, we are stewards of our gifts. But we have to learn them. We have to learn how to use them. Uh, I coach kids sports teams. My kids are seven, my boys are seven and ten years old, my little girls two. Um, and I coach sports teams, and one of the most amazing rewards of that is watching their skills develop and as their skills develop, what was previously so aggravating and discouraging becomes joyous. It's like a work of art develops. They love Elliot soccer team this year. Man, it was like Sandlot out there at the start of the season. Some of the kids would have a ball rolling right to them, swing and miss. Just like, oh my gosh, and then yesterday in the playoffs watching the same kid, boom, just boot it all the way down and we tragically lost to the number one seed. We were up two to one until the last two minutes and then they scored a goal. We lost in PKs, don't ask me about the officiating, but <laughs> the reward of watching people grow into their gifts and we get this concept with things like teaching. You Gotta learn how to teach, effective communication, Simple, not complex concepts. But when it comes to things like prayer for healing, words of prophecy, discernment of spirits, these things that are listed out in Scripture as things that God gives to His people, I think our imagination is predominantly God will overwhelm me with something that I will know is from Him, and I'll just deliver it, and He'll do whatever He's going to do. When in actuality, growing in the supernatural gifts, the presence of God among us, the hand of Jesus through us in the unseen realm, rather than the seen realm, like 2 Corinthians 4 we read, comes through discerning, paying attention to what is being communicated to us through the Scriptures, by the Spirit, in community together, That Then in that frightening moment where we're like, oh my gosh, am I going to share this? I'm not very confident in this. And we share it, and we see the effect that it has on someone else. That we would know the hand of God was in it meeting them. So, as a church, here are some examples of how we've seen particularly those unseen gifts, especially of healing and prophecy, take place in the life of our church. We've seen things healed like mental anguish, depression, and anxiety. Nervous tics. Uh, A member of our church found out their dad was in prison through a vision that someone had. Deliverance from demons of fear, lust, and despair that are real. My 11-year-old son prayed for healing for me of a terrible sore throat that I had had within 24 hours. Five minutes later, it was gone. Prayer for a baby for a couple who were told they would never have one. And they got pregnant. A case of COVID that tested negative the day after healing prayer before vaccines were even out. Numerous stomach aches, headaches, joints, sinuses, all sorts of things that we've actually seen God heal. Now, you can hear that and put on the scientism hat and say, well, I'm sure there's an explanation for that. Maybe in some of those cases. But those don't need to be proven in order to believe that God is here and present among us and that many of them were in fact the hand of God reaching through us in prayer and prophecy to meet and build up other people. And so we believe that these things are real and that God's presence in the house of God is where we learn together. Notice that in 1 Corinthians 12, he said, to each has been given a manifestation of the Spirit. If you participate with what God wants to do, I am 100% confident that with the wisdom in even this room of the way we've seen God's gifts work out, you can grow in seeing God's Spirit use you to build up His people and to advance His mission in the world. Because you want to know what's shocking to the world out there that might not believe the truth claims of Jesus? The power of Jesus impacting their life and meeting them in a real way in a moment. Our gifts are not for us. They're to be stewarded by us. That's why John 7, Jesus brings up that same analogy and metaphor that he did with the woman at the well to satisfy her desires. He stood up in the feast and he said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You notice in the first one, you'll never thirst again. In the second one, you'll be so satisfied, it will pour itself out on those around you. This is core to what it means to follow Jesus, that we would be satisfied by grace, that we would use the gifts of grace for the sake of the church, for the sake of our city, to the glory of the one who gives them. Amen? So, the invitation to everyone here, is to be interconnected in the body enough that you too could grow in learning your gifts. Many of you are probably sitting here like thinking, I got nothing to offer. I'd be very open to that, but I got nothing. (laughs) Uh, Start conversation with people. Come talk to me. I'll connect you with somebody in the church. We're going to have classes next year about how to pursue some of these things and to learn prayer together. But be here, be in. And some really practical ways stewarding the gifts that we have. Um, 101 stewardship is the stuff that all of us have by virtue of of being here, being here. You all have time. Uh, Most of you have finances. Some of you are undergrads or grad students and you're like, ha. (laughs) that thing I have heard of, but I do not have. (laughs) That's okay. Um, It might appear like things are very well run here and as though there are plenty of hands to serve. There are some precious saints who are plugging 18 holes somehow with 10 fingers. And in order to prevent the ship from sinking, called the Commons LA, as far as our ministries go, they're filling too much. Particular needs that we have right now, Kids' ministry. My wife is the patron saint of our kids' ministry. She's been the director uh, of the kids' ministry since we started. She's going to grad school next year. Yes, very excited about that. Deep down, I'm a bit nervous. I see how many things that she does and the needs in our kids' ministry. And you see these families up here. They ain't stopping more volunteers will be needed. We need more volunteers right now. Now here's the thing that happens though. It sounds great in this moment. And so you say, I would love to do that. And then we get your contact information. And it's like, great, we'll email you. So then you're serving on ministry or Sunday operations or hospitality or in the band or whatever it might be. And then we say, okay, here's some openings. We'll, t- we'll train you. And then we don't hear anything. And then we follow up. Oh, yeah, it's not gonna work in this season. I'm actually too busy. You see, whenever we're starting to walk by faith in obedience to what Jesus calls us to, there's always a threshold. The threshold of it actually meeting our lives. And it's frightening, but fear always uh, is something that faith proceeds through. It's always scary, otherwise it's not faith. And so I, I want to encourage you, A, use your time to serve be know that fear's coming and it'll feel like your calendar's getting a little too scary. but the reason they're gifts of grace and not gifts of you is because God works through you. and he who calls you to serve will surely provide for your life. That's why in 1 Corinthians 15 God Paul calls God, The God of encouragement and endurance. And in Colossians 1, he says, I serve with all the energy that God powerfully works within me. This is real. But we have to participate. That's why it's grace. God with us, doing in and through us what we can't do on our own. The second thing is finances. Sacrificial generosity is at the very core of the gospel, and I've been in this part of LA with UCLA across the street long enough to know that many of you hate the greed that we see rampant in America. My simple question is, are you being generous? Because Jesus said something that is an ironclad law of being human. That law is if you are faithful with little, you will be faithful with much. If you are unfaithful with little, you will be unfaithful with much. I wonder if God's invitation to us that he would show off the might of his kingdom, the miraculous of what he does. First, he's asking us to be faithful with the obvious little stuff. How's serving going? How generous are we? Otherwise, we might use something more mind-blowing for ourselves. And so, I want to simply invite you to make a budget. Create space to live generously. A part of that is to the church family. We have about 150 people that call the Commons LA home, by our own estimate. About 40 of them give regularly. About 40 of them serve with regularity. There's a ton of room for us to grow. And this is like no shaming or guilting whatsoever. This is invitation to grace. This is practical what we're talking about. You can't grow in it by just thinking it. We do it. We live into it. And we experience the power of God coming to us. Um, There's some... Crazy generous people that make this work, that allow us to cater in a few hundred dollars worth of food every Sunday. Juice for Jesus is exceedingly generous to let us meet here for a stupid cheap. But if they said, hey, uh, can't let you meet here anymore. We love you, but for whatever reason, we're using the space now. We wouldn't even be able to afford anything here. Just to like help you envision how budget and giving works. And we're in one of the richest areas in the world. So for those who are are grad students, undergrads, got no income, keep going. We see $5, $7, $12.32 given, and we're like, hallelujah! That's generosity, maybe, I'm assuming, (laughs) at least particular. (laughs) But then there are those of us who have salaries. We have steady income. I want to simply open up to you the fact that even though the room is full, Half us broke. <laughs> Generosity in this season is investing in that future and we have some lean months and God's faithful. We just had someone outside of the church give a very large gift. I don't want to communicate like, it was not six figures. It's not like that big. But it was uh, about a month's worth of what our recurring budget is or recurring giving and that's 16000 God is faithful to sustain us. He invites us to take hold of what he offers us in satisfying grace, in the gifts of grace. And so please prayerfully consider and take serious His invitation that as you contribute that drop in the bucket, it spills over, overflowing into our city. Amen? I am going to give us two minutes. Because the QR code in front of you, the QR code in your pamphlet is where the calls to action live every day. You can serve. It just sends a text message. Everything's through texting. You can give. And this is, there's no weirdness in here. You might just pray and say, Lord, please compel people to do so. But what can't happen is we cave in to all the distractions and noise that happen out there. And even with our best intent, not end up doing what we know we ought to do and what we desire to do down in those longings, right? So, I'm going to give us two minutes now. I'm going to close in prayer. Band will come up and lead us. Pray with me. Jesus, we bless you for the life that you have swept all of us who have believed into uh, life with Father, Son and Spirit participating in your work in the world, of pouring love out in sacrifice, of living a whole other, way than the world presents to us, but the true way, the living way. Um, Help us to be honest before you who see all already. Help us to open ourselves to you. Help us to listen to your call in the word and help us to take steps of faith that display our allegiance to you in life. We know you are faithful. I pray for my friends in this room. Please help us to be a church that lives a hundred years from now, getting to see the orchard of fruit that has been planted because a handful of people opted in to your invitation to grace and to participation in your work. Um, We believe you. We trust you. Guide us, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name.